Hello. I wish you guys, I mean, you kind of heard it there, but the enthusiasm Corinne had moments before recording was uh, unparalleled. It was amazing. Here's the thing. Sabrina and I are coming off of our first ever campfire stories live on Green Room. That was last night for us by the time we're recording this. And so I think we're equally (laughs) sleep deprived (laughs) and jazzed. So I'm not in control of my volume. Sometimes I'm quiet and sometimes I scream, which is what Sabrina saw right before we started recording. It was great. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I'm on cloud nine. I went to bed with a smile on my face yes. and woke up with it because it was so much fun. It was so much fun. And we're going to be doing so much more. We're going to be doing like rapid fire ghost stories, bringing on yes. special guests. It's just always going to be fresh and fun. And everyone was so amazing. And it was Ah, I could do it every day. I know, me too. (laughs) (laughs) So can we just do this for like eight hours straight every day? Oh my gosh, ghost story (laughs) marathons. That would be really fun. It's a dream. It's a dream over here because we are two girls, one ghost. Two girls, one ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's Corinne and I'm Sabrina. And I'm not done talking about how great it was. (laughs) No, me me neither. I figured we needed to just quickly say who we were first. Yes, yes, yes. For those of you who don't know, Corinne and I, we just started doing a show with, through Spotify's Green Room app where we host weekly scary campfire stories. And we invite our listeners up to join us and tell us their ghost stories. And yeah, think about what it would be like yeah. if you were surrounded, if you were huddled around a campfire and everyone's like, what's your spooky story? That's what we're it's trying to replicate every week. And it felt like it. I was like sitting on my couch, just like snuggled up in a blanket, listening to your stories. And this is something that Crit and I have been talking about with Spotify and dreaming about with just between the two of us for years. Yeah, we find there's finally a platform for us to do it comfortably. I know. And it's just so exciting that it actually exists. And I mean, there's so many things that Crit and I have ideas for. You guys have heard it firsthand. We've started like, about write a book. We'll do six hundred we'll businesses with exactly. this one podcast. But for this to actually happen and materialize is truly, I mean, it yeah. feels like I'm living a dream. Yeah, we're incredibly excited. And and I also just want to note, like looking at the chat and as people were chatting their ghost stories and sharing them with one another, or when people are up on stage. I don't know why I'm I was surprised by this because we've we've seen it a thousand yeah. times in our emails at at our actual live shows in our Facebook group every single day but everyone is so incredibly so supportive, supportive of each other everyone's like go like the very first person who came on Emmy everyone's like go Emmy go Emmy and then Kevin you got it Kevin and then Christina they're like you did amazing Christina I, know. I just it just felt so good to watch People have the opportunity to share their stories with people that they know are going to be excited and supportive and believe them. And it's just a space that doesn't exist or hadn't existed for so many Mm -hmm. of us for so long. And I just think like with the internet, it's so easy to troll people and to be mean. And, you Mm -hmm. know, we did some onboarding beforehand and it was like, if you get trolls or if you get like people who are bullying, like this is how you block them and remove them from the room. Yeah, so we were ready. We were prepared. Our fingers were ready. (laughs) We had them ready to go. But we, I mean, it was just so positive and it's just so cool to see this community and how it's grown and how people have like made friends with each other, how we've made friends with our community. And I just, yeah, I mean, it it is it was a very humbling reminder of how cool what we get to do, although it's our side hustle, that we get to do this, you know? 
Yes, and my parents and my brother were in the chat. Yes, they were. <laughs> my, I actually feel really bad for my dad. Next time he's in the chat, everyone should say hi because what from my perspective of the chat, what I saw was my mom said something. Everyone's like, dab, dab, dab. Christian made a punny joke. So everyone's like, ha, ha, ha. And then my dad like kind of later on in the chat was like – can't wait for more spooky tales and no one no, no one, one recognizes him. him i was like oh he's the forgotten about relative but my mom texted me and she goes i don't know if you saw what i wrote in the chat but i just want to talk about it now and what she said i was alone because in the chat she had said like suddenly the air is cold around me and everyone's like "Ooh." oh so she texted me and she goes i was alone in the living room laying on the sofa listening and dad had moved to the other room so that we could both be on our cell phones and wouldn't be playing and mess up the sound so i'd been out there for a couple of hours 40 minutes into campfire stories and a cold mass of air comes up from my feet and then in front of me and i thought i'm not alone and oh. then she was like, so then I knew I needed to alert the spooky <laughs> fans of what was happening in that moment with our house ghost. Whoa. Was your dad not in the room with her? No, or he was, was in dad? the other room oh. because they were both on their cell phones because they wa- each wanted to have the chat. Oh, so cute. <laughs> so they didn't want to like screw up with like sound and whatnot. Wow. Yeah. Also, they usually have to take phone calls from other rooms because my dad has hearing aids and he'll put the sound the phone call through his hearing aids oh. and it's just like someone else if my mom's in the room like on herself it's all it this is too much information but basically Interesting. they were in different rooms yeah so and then other people in the chat were saying like oh we need an episode where where deb comes on and tells some spooky tales mm-hmm. she texted me and she goes i have none left i tell them all to you oh. and you immediately repeat them on the podcast i know but it is fun to hear it from her we can have right. her on um i know on a green room episode that'd be fun yeah i'll ask her i'll build up her her confidence and her comfort with it because i have asked her yeah. a few times to just come on and say a few words on the podcast and she that would be fun she is a little nervous well, okay, speaking of moms being haunted, my mom texted me this morning and was like, I'm staying in a haunted hotel. And when I talked to her on the phone, she said that she woke up at 3 a.m. on the dot and it was silent. But then all of a sudden she heard teenagers like yelling outside of her hotel room door and she was like freaked out by it. And then all of a sudden it just like disappeared, it went away. And she like went back to sleep and it was fine. And she like talked about it with her coworker. She's there for like a work retreat. And she talked about it with her coworkers in the morning and no one else except for one other guy heard it. And it's a small hotel. It's called Terrytown House Estate in New York. And apparently there are no teenagers staying in the hotel. Ooh! Why are hotels so haunted? I don't know. I told her to get stories and ask. Yeah, I was just going to say, did any, anything else happen? Yeah. I guess Terrytown, New York is just like a haunted place in general. It sounds like a made-up town, doesn't it? Terrytown, yeah. Maybe it is. Maybe she slipped into another dimension for a second. <gasps> I think it's near Sleepy Hollow. Ooh. See, Sleepy Hollow is another – that's a great – you know, you and I were saying, wow, my brain is skipping over multiple sentences and I'm <laughs> speeding through my thoughts. You and I keep saying how every Halloween we need to start getting together again and potentially go to different spooky areas. And I think Sleepy Hollow is one of them. I'm so on board. And then we can go stay at that Terrytown ho- hotel <gasps> like your mom. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Say, Tell her. Put a name to the ghost. Give your mom some homework and make sure she asks a few people. I will. I think she's there for a couple more nights. I also tried to do a quick Google search. And it, it basically just kept coming up with the town being haunted. So mm. my mom's going to be the reporter on the ground. <laughs> 
Oh, I love that. That's actually br- br- another brilliant business idea. We what? just have we have our own news channel, <laughs> but we only report on haunted paranormal situations. And then we that have people on the fun. ground. Can we be the people on the ground? Yeah. Why not? Okay. Live from inside of the coffin, it's Sabrina. <laughs> I have to report it's very dark in here. Standing by an alpine supposedly scratched from the booty of Bigfoot, Corinne, <laughs> this smells amazing. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm tired. No, it's brilliant. It's genius. I think it is a good idea. <laughs> I would love to do that. There's so many things that we need to do and accomplish in our podcast ghostly career. Oh, man. Yeah. How Maybe we are in other up? dimensions. What? <laughs> I didn't hear what you said. <laughs> I like how we just stared at each other for a second. <laughs> Someone will say something and we'll be able to understand what the other person just said. Context clues, but we're just like <sighs> breathing and staring at each other. Oh, I said, how can we keep up with it all? Or something. Oh, well, line. that goes with mine. I said, maybe we are doing it just in other dimensions, mm. you know, just different yes. versions of us are accomplishing a few different things at a time. Yes, I commend I like my other it. selves. Thank you, doppelgangers. Alrighty. We have a fun topic. Yes, we do. We realize it's November, but we're not willing to give up the month of October just yet. Ever. I mean, that that's why we do this podcast year round. <laughs> True. But I feel like this was a, a really perfect one for October. So we wanted to piggyback and, and make sure everybody's moods are still elevated. Yes. Though perhaps your Halloween costumes are now neatly put away in your closet of horrifying goods or perhaps you continue to wear it every weekend because that's what you want to do you sleep in it your new pjs yeah love it we're here for it we support you we really do but we are also supported by our patreon donor bailey who picked out swedish witch trials and i said fun topic but i really should have said tragic horrifying upsetting devastating and yet fascinating topic yes i think the thing that is fun about it is that we get to learn about witch trials outside of the u.s when we're so used to hearing references to the salem witch trials because that's what what's most prevalent in the u.s so getting to learn about other people and how it affected other cultures and other countries is it's new to us and we're eager to tell you guys what we learned yes okay so i'll go first sabrina and i stories they kind of (laughs) it's an interesting timeline because they hers is is somewhat in the middle slash beginning of Mm -hmm. the trials mine's towards the end but and if we were more professional (laughs) we would have talked about this months ago and organized it so i was going first but we follow a pattern here and we're sticking to it and we are because i wrote some history so now i have to go first we should have just done like bookends like i start it then you say your story and then i go but it's fine we can do that i mean we can do you want to no that's too much mental work all right okay just follow along with us pretend (laughs) pretend you know what's happening like we are okay so i used quite a few sources but the bulk of the info was found from an article on hans hogman's website so shout out to hans thank you hans for all of your research because it helped me fill in many many gaps in the timeline. And it's just really fascinating to hear about the Swedish witch trials. He is also a descendant of someone in my story 
So I will mention that as soon as this person comes up. Okay, as we mentioned, the witch trials were a horrendous event, no matter where it happened. It's essentially, it was murdering hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. And it happened all over Europe. It happened in America. It happened in other places. It's yeah. still happening in some societies. And so it's just a hard topic to talk about. And we've often heard about the trials in Salem, Massachusetts. I'm in Boston. Some of the trials actually happened here, not too far from my apartment. But now we're focused on the Swedish witch trials. And I think it suffice to say that Sabrina and I are um, horrified by what happened. It's so, yeah. Yeah. Upsetting. Very upsetting. Yes. So some history. So the hysteria and the fear of witchcraft grew through Sweden in the mid-17th century, and it took over the Swedish people, turning neighbors against one another, creating this massive paranoia throughout the country, and ending the lives of over 400 people. So this time is referred to as Detstora Ovasendet. I know I butchered that pronunciation, so I'm so sorry. But it translates to the great noise. So the world was not new to witch trials by the time it it hit Sweden. The hunt for witches in Europe first occurred in the mid-15th century. There was even a book published in uh, 1487. It was titled The Witch Hammer, Hawks Hammerin, which was a guidebook that literally detailed how to disclose, like basically how to find and report and convict and condemn witches. Oh my gosh. So if this hadn't ever come out as a manuscript, I'm not sure when it would have started. I would, I, I think inevitably because there was so much fear, someone would have done something to start it. But this, this book is thought to have been one of the first key contributors to people having this sense of fear and kind of knowing how to act on on that fear. The thing that makes me the most upset is that I feel like so many of the witch trials were just led by priests and religious authority mm-hmm. figures. Yeah. But when you read the Bible and like what Jesus and God and like the Bible talk about of like these miracles and how Jesus performed miracles and like people walked on water or split the Red Sea and like that's magic. And yet now, like in this time, all of a sudden magic happening was a terrible thing. It's something worth killing people for. Right. Exactly. And who's to say what someone looks like in terms of the historical figure in those books and what if those people were in front of them doing these things in present time? They would yeah. they would think which, which. Yeah. I mean, I guess Jesus was crucified. So he was. That's true. So Germany, they took the lead on the witch hunt, and soon the fear of witches spread from the Alps into neighboring countries until eventually all of Europe seemed to be filled with witch hunters. So in Sweden, the witch trials began officially in 1668 with an 11-year-old girl named Gertrude. And Sabrina is going to go into greater detail about her story and what happened that triggered witch hysteria to spread across Sweden for eight years. But we're going to flash forward past Sabrina's story (laughs) a few years from this case of Gertrude and the origin of witch trials in Sweden. Now we're in Torsiker. Clergyman Laurentius Christophe Hornius had just been ordained a few years prior, and he was now the assistant parish minister at Ederlanus Parish. So he was younger. He was very eager to prove himself, which made him the perfect person to be tasked with the witch hunt. 
So the reverend in town asked Hornius to track down all of the witches. And Hornius was like, yes, I'll do it. I have been chosen to fight evil. The devil is my enemy. I've got this. So he and his parish minister were convinced that witches were employed by the devil. They were tools for the devil to use to spread evil. So it was an easy decision in his head to fight evil. It was his life's calling. And so he was like, yes, I'm totally down for this mission. And by the way, at the top of this story, when I said I got a lot of this information from Hans Hogman's website, mm-hmm. he is a descendant of Hornius. Oh. Yes. So is this biased? Is this a biased retelling of it? I don't – you know, from what I'm about to tell you, I'm not sure because it doesn't really okay. paint Hornius in the greatest light. Okay. Well, that's – Okay. But there, yeah, I, I think it's the same thing as, as when we think about the witch trials here in America. I mean, one of the people who was convicted might have 600 descendants now. There's right. just generationally, there's a lot of people, but you're not necessarily close. You can be very, very far removed. Yes. They were also having lots of children back then. Yes. Something that will not be in my future. <laughs> I mean, children, yes, but many. Not lots. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> not lots. I am not a last girl. Oh my gosh, me neither. Scared of that. <laughs> that yes. actually might be my biggest fear. But we're not here for that. <laughs> Real life horrors. No. Okay, but Hornius and everyone in his parish, they were like, yep, witches, they are at the mercy of the devil and they are a bad, bad news. Let's get rid of them. And so this viewpoint, it didn't, for Hornius, it didn't come without remorse because he did believe that he could save the souls of the witches and spare them the eternal fire of hell if they just confessed to witchcraft. And so he set out to find these witches and to save their souls and to save his community from these evil witches. Hmm. And an interesting fact, I think, too, about the Swedish witch trials is that the accusers were mostly children in Sweden. Yeah, I mean, kind of worldwide, if you think of Salem Witch Trials, too. Yeah, it often starts with kids. Which honestly makes me very glad that I went through, like, middle school bullying rather than this. Like, we think kids nowadays, like, the words hurt, but at least they didn't, like, take your life. Your whole entire community is not throwing you on a bonfire and watching you burn. Yeah. Yes. No, it's it's absolutely horrifying. I mean, raging hormones, people don't know what's going on, and it's horrible. Yes, they, they should not have been eyewitnesses, and yet they were. They were trusted people for pointing fingers. And the kids often accused women, sometimes other kids, and they would tell these creative and elaborate stories about being to Blakula, which is where the devil holds banquets in Nordic Tales, and going on witches' rides and and all this stuff. And the kids were super, super detailed. Yeah. There was no lack of imagination. That's for sure. No, no, not at all. They're like giving names, descriptions of who they saw. They're talking about various activities that they did while they were there. They're like totally making stuff up about what they experienced and creating this whole false narrative in this false world around them. And the kids were quite literally trying to one-up each other in their storytelling, so not at all understanding the repercussions of their tales and the lives that would end because of this storytelling competition that they've essentially created. Though not all of the blame is on the children because witnesses – and let me remind you that most of the witnesses were children – were tortured until they provided a suitable answer. Yeah. So not quite the unbiased witness that you'd want because the interrogators want what they wanted, and that happened to be a captured witch. So, of course, the kids were going to tell a tale about witches. Yep. 
There's a nickname for some of these kids, and that's viscos, which meant sage boys or wise boys. And usually these were orphaned kids wandering the streets for food or for work. And during the height of the witch trials, these hungry kids, they saw basically a job opportunity. They would market themselves as having the power to spot the mark of the devil, and that that mark would appear on the forehead of those who had communed with the devil. And apparently people believed them because Hornius – And his parish minister, they hired two of these boys, and they posted them outside of the church on Sundays, and these boys would point out a few women exiting every single time and state that they saw the devil's mark. Oh, my gosh. And for every identification they would make, Hornius paid them. So they were being positively reinforced for pointing at people and saying that they were marked with the devil's mark. And at one point, one of the boys had pointed at the wife of the minister And people around who had witnessed that, they started gasping, oh my gosh, whispering to each other. And the woman, she clearly knew what was going on. She knew what those boys were there to do and saw one boy pointing at her. She walks over to the boy. She slaps him in the face. And then once she's up close, he recognizes her, realizes who she is. And then he apologizes and says, it was a mistake. My my eyes, the sun was blinding me. I couldn't see. You're not marked Uh. by the devil. So frustrating. So frustrating. So then the people that, that were marked by the devil or that Hornius somehow become a, became aware of in through other communications, he would interview the accused, oftentimes women, but the accused people, interrogating them, attempting to get a confession to save their souls. Sometimes the water test was implemented, which we've talked about before, we've learned about, which is basically where you throw the accused into water. If they drown, they're innocent, but guess what? They're dead, so good work. If they float and they live, they're witches, behead them. So they, they it's die. It's a lose-lose situation. Yes. Yeah. Pretty. I think pretty difficult to save people's souls when you're the one murdering them. When you're killing them, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But alas, that's what they did. That's what they thought that they were doing. And the church was supposed to help convert everyone back to Christianity. And a witchcraft commission was established to help serve this purpose while simultaneously capturing and killing all the witches. So led by Hornius, people were accused. They were interrogated. They were found guilty by a jury and by the witchcraft commission. And there were 71 people just in this area. I'm not talking about Sweden as a whole. I'm talking about this one specific area. 71 people who were accused of witchcraft. And on June 1st, 1675, Hornius's parish minister conducted a service in their church for the 71 who were accused. They were given their last Holy Communion. And it was only in this moment that the accused realized that they were all about to be murdered, that this wasn't about saving their souls. Oh, no. They were giving their last communion because they were going to die that day. So the accused group of people were then sent to march up a mountain where two executioners were waiting for them. And one by one, oh my, I just, I'm covered in goosebumps. It's horrifying to repeat this, but one by one, people screamed and they cried and they pleaded for their life as they saw the person in front of them suffer the same fate that they were about to, beheading with an axe and then being thrown into a bonfire, their open necks placed away from the flame so that the blood wouldn't put out the fire. In total, 71 people were killed, 65 were women, two were men, and four were boys. And Torsaker's witch trial had the largest number of women sentenced and executed for witchcraft at one time in Sweden. It was about a fifth of the women in the region, leaving many homes without mothers, wives, sisters, daughters, neighbors, friends. 
one of the sage boys who had worked with Hornius, who had had been the one pointing and and marking people, he was found dead, beaten a few days later. And Hornius felt tortured by what had happened, as he as he should. Yeah. And that same year, actually, his mother and his aunt, who lived about 30 miles south of him, were both accused of witchcraft and executed. Here's what his mom was accused of. Using a braha, which is a wool ball that's said to be used by witches who would travel to the farm, or the witches wouldn't travel, the ball would travel to the farm, steal milk and cheese and cream and and whatever from these dairy cows, Mm -hmm. and then return to the witch and puke up all the stolen goods. Oh. So essentially, when crops wouldn't grow, when things went bad, when farm animals died, when food was scarce, it was really easy to turn and point at a neighbor or at someone who you thought acted differently enough from you and say, they're a witch. They must be using this thing. And that's why this bad thing happened to me. And for Hornius, for his mom, for his aunt, and, and for so, so many other people, this is what happened. As for Sweden as a country, it's presumed that around 400 people were found guilty of witchcraft and executed. A couple hundred more were said to have been beheaded and burned. And as for the people killed in Torsica, the mountain where they were killed is called Haxbergat, which is the witch mountain, or Balbergat, which is Bonfire Mountain. And there is a monument there dedicated to the memory of those who are murdered in the Swedish witch trial which was erected 300 years on on their 300-year anniversary of the trial. And on the monument on top of this mountain, there is text written into the monument, and it says, In 1675, witches' pyres burnt here. Women died. Men judged. The belief of time befalls man. So you can actually go to the site. You can follow the trail called Witch's Path, which will take you 4.6 miles from Torsica Church to the site of the executions. You can also drive there if you don't want to walk basically five miles. And in town, in a nearby town, you can visit a museum dedicated to the witch trials as well. It's so horrendous, like horrific. Mm-hmm. And and I truly, I mean, we there's so much research that's been done over the years of like what caused the hysteria, but I kind of feel like you nailed it with just like Anytime there was something that went wrong with, like, crops or anything, they just, like, couldn't – they had to blame a person. They, like – Right. Why is this happening to me? Why me? What yeah. could this be? It's not me. It's not chance. It's not just the land. It's not weather. It has to be an actual reason. Yeah, and that someone reason is now cursed us. You. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, think about it. Previously, people have blamed things on gods. The gods are mad at us. Mm-hmm. This figure is mad at us. That figure is mad at us. It's because we didn't do this or pay to the king or, or whatever. But now, now the same behavior is being repeated, but instead it's it's a witch. It's witchcraft. Yeah. Someone did something bad to me. Someone put a curse on me. Someone is stealing from me. Someone has ill will for me. And that person is is in this town and I'm pointing my finger at who I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. It's curious to me, and I know I'm not asking you specifically, Corinne, because I don't know the answer, but more just like I need to do research on this myself. And if people know, let us know. Like what was the very first witch accusation and what caused it? And and did anything happen? I mean, I'm sure there's yeah. plenty that happened that were undocumented because people were just like, oh, whatever, you know? Yeah. I'm sure not everything was taken with such extreme sincerity and, and belief. Yeah. I don't know. I, I would imagine it would be absolutely horrifying. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of like during that time, if you weren't a witch hunter, the chances of being accused of being a witch were extremely high. So, I mean, both sides are terrible and horrible, but, like, I I understand why these kids and these other people 
got on the side of accusing people because it's like it's either me or them. You know what I wish could have happened and who knows if this would have helped at all. But if instead of the sage boys, if there was some sort of counter person who was like, I also have the power, but I have the power to see who is a witch hunter, who can sense witches and the marks are so similar people who are young might not be able to tell the difference. And then basically you just save all the witches who are accused by the, you're like, oh no, they're actually a seer. But Corinne, I guarantee there were people who tried to defend witches or do right. something like that. And then they were accused of being a witch, right. you know? And then they're going to, yeah, they'd it's be just like, she's manipulating horrible. us. She's a witch. Yeah. Especially as like yes. a woman, the amount of women who were accused and killed. Ugh, it's oh so my God. What a awful. Scary time. I mean, in the town that I just, Torsica, a fifth, a fifth of the women. That is a huge chunk of the population that were accused and killed. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And these towns are small. I mean, there are probably 3,000 people living in each of these towns back then. So for how many people were accused in, in the town you were just talking about? 71. That's so many. That's so many. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, it's... I don't know what I would do in that scenario. I'm grateful that I don't have to live through that scenario. Yeah, same. But I just, I would be so tempted to just like run from society and just like live in the woods. But what are you supposed to do? Live in the woods I mean, for 300 that, years? You it have goes that on urge right now. <laughs> True. <laughs> you probably have in in a past life lived in the woods if you have that. I think draw. probably since I keep trying to, in my mind, I'm running there every day. <laughs> you keep going back to it. I don't. But the fact of, of the matter is that witch trials, you know, in Sweden specifically, the the main chunk of witch trials happened within eight years, but it, it still continued for 50 to 100 years later. There was still odd cases here or there or trials brought to court. It didn't mean that everyone was, you know, being accused and beheaded left and right. Yeah. But there still was that trickle effect, that aftermath, those towns that still believed. And it it spread across Europe. So while it might have, might have stopped in one location, it started in another. So mm -hmm. witch trials went on for hundreds of years. Yeah. yeah. Disturbing. It is. Okay. So I decided to talk about Mora, M-O-R-A, witch trial. And it is the most internationally famous Swedish witch trial it spread so worldwide that the illustrations of the execution of this trial are considered to have influenced the Salem witch trials. And it was the first mass execution during the great Swedish witch hunt of 1668 to 1676. The Mora witch trials took place in Mora, Sweden in 1669, but the hysteria began much earlier than that. It actually began in the autumn of 1667 when a little shepherd boy in Alvdalen, Sweden, claimed to see a 12-year-old girl, Gertrude Sven's daughter, lead goats over eastern Dalalven by walking on water. So according to the story that this little boy told, he said that he confronted young Gertrude and she beat him up, basically trying to silence him. And the little shepherd boy was furious and he turned Gertrude into the authorities and Gertrude was then interrogated by the priest who basically coerced her to say that she had in fact walked on water and that she had done so by magic, which was given to her by the devil. And I feel like this is like kind of like you, what you were saying is just these children are just interrogated and forced into saying whatever they want them to say. I mean, we've seen today how there are terrible police tactics when they mm -hmm. sit in interrogation and wear a suspect down so much 
that they basically plant the story in their mind and then force them to say it so that they're like, and like lie to them and say, we'll let you go if you just admit to it. Right. And you're also at the point of exhaustion where you're just like, I'm just going to say anything to get out of here and then I'll deal with it later. Yeah. But guess what? It's too late. It's a confession. And for these, these are young kids. Like this boy is, is Gertrude's what, 11, 12 or something? 12 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And this boy, I, th- I believe was a little bit younger than her yeah. or similarly aged. Like you are in absolutely no, I what? Kids yeah. lie. Kids have no idea what's going on. And just I imagine, sure as heck wouldn't be a good eyewitness then. I would have said whatever no. the hell would get me home. And, and also imagine like I think of all of the tales people used to tell their kids like of Krampus, of just of these like people or creatures who would come for you if you were a bad kid. So I mm-hmm. imagine during this time if witch hysteria is traveling through the globe, you know, this little boy's parents might have been like, beware of witches. And so he goes out one day and sees a girl do something and he's like, oh my gosh, she's a witch. And it turns into this bigger story because that's like a fear his parents planted in his head. It's just sad and horrible. Yes. So the fabricated story that Gertrude starts telling forcibly was spun into such an ordeal that Gertrude accused a neighbor's maid of taking her to the devil. And that maid was Marie, John's daughter. I also like that, like, all of their last names are basically daughter of John or mm-hmm. daughter of Sven. Anyway. That reminds me, there was there was a video I saw the other day where someone was, like, saying how they wanted to take the, the female's last name, but then realize that there actually were no female last names within their own society. A lot of mm. other societies do have that, but, like, basically in at least American culture – Traditionally, mm-hmm. it, it was that you take the male's last name. And so what was left? Who actually has the – if you go down the line oh, or up like the line of descendants. a female last name? Right. Because if you're like, oh, I'm going to take my grandmother's last name. Well, that was her father's last name. Right. I know. I was just trying to think back because – Right. I mean, there are plenty of cultures that, that don't do that. People's naming conventions are different. Yeah. But – yeah, for, for my lineage, at least, I, I think that's true. <laughs> oh, 100%. I mean, well, my mom kept her maiden and did hyphenated, but like her maiden name is her dad's name. Right. Whoa. Whoa. That's a trippy thing to think about. You can just make your own. I know. That would be fun. Creative. Yeah. Starting okay. now. So back to Gertrude. So Gertrude went on to say that in 1663, when she was just a wee lass of eight years old, Marais had taken her on a walk, and on this walk, they passed a sand pit and came to a three-way crossroad. It was there that Marais supposedly called out to the devil, Thou devil, come forward! And Gertrude watched as Satan appeared as a vicar, and the three of them then dined together. That next night, Marais supposedly came to Gertrude again. This time, Marais and one of Gertrude's father's cows were covered in red oil, and together... Marais, the cow, and Gertrude flew through the chimney and all the way to Satan on Blackula, which is, as Corinne mentioned, the legendary island where the devil held his earthly court during witch's Sabbath. And apparently this island could only be reached by magical flight. It was described as a delicate, large meadow where you can see no end. And that night, when Marais and Gertrude and this cow covered in red oil flew to Blackula, Gertrude was forced to write her name in a book with black pages. And ever since that night, Gertrude would return to Blackula and walk on water and take other children to visit Satan. 
According to Gertrude, she was moved to confess, not because she was interrogated in fake quotes, <laughs> but because an angel came to her and told her that she had to confess or else a hunger epidemic would sweep over her people, which to me, like a 12-year-old kid is not going to say that. That to me sounds like an authority being like, if you don't tell us, the witches are going to ruin our harvest and we're all going to die of hunger. Right. Fear tactic. Yeah. So Gertrude makes her confession, and simultaneously, more children start to come forward with these visions of seeing Gertrude and the children that she led to Blockula and confirm her confession. Again, all of these children. It's just like, it, it truly makes me think that like parents at home were like, can you confirm this? Did Gertrude take you to Blockula? And it's like, no, but we saw her take other people, you know? I, just anyway. Right. I can't assume, but that's just where my mind goes. So with hysteria, things naturally were blown way out of proportion. And I mean, honestly, the only thing I can say is like the imagination during this time is kind of incredible. Like as a creative person, the detail of these stories, and maybe they were inspired by stories from Germany or other places where witch hunts mm -hmm. were happening. I don't know. But someone at some point had to make up all of this. And it's, I mean, it's very, very creative. Right. Creative. And I mean, obviously, we don't live there. And so we can't speak entirely for what it was like then. But now we have unlimited resources. And we're just constantly being bombarded and overstimulated with information and inspiration and mm -hmm. other people's stories and creativity. But back then, the internet didn't exist. I know. You had your little circle, you didn't get overly exposed to you didn't have too many life events. Yeah. For most people, I'm sure people didn't have the money to travel t too often beyond their their own area. So for them to be so incredibly elaborate and have yeah. all of these details and have all this like wild world that they've created for themselves. It's impressive. It is. I mean, tragic, but yes. I have a quote that mm -hmm. I'm going to read in a little bit that is just like, just wait, because it's okay. unreal. So anyway, poor Marie John's daughter was called to court to answer for her so-called devious crimes. And although she denied all accusations, there were too many so-called witnesses who came out of the woodwork. Gertrude's father claimed that Marie had made him sick. And Marie also had a mark on her pinky finger of her left hand, which was thought to be the devil's mark. Basically, I mean, this is another thing that we've seen in witch hunt or witch accusations and trials of like, any abnormal features on people were just made into, oh my gosh, that must mean they're a witch or that's the devil's mark. Mm -hmm. So Gertrude's friends came in to accuse Marais. And even worse, Marais' own siblings came in to give testimony and accused Marais of having sex with Satan and for bringing her siblings to sign their names in the devil's book as well. So during this trial, Marie is like looking to her siblings and begging them to stop and is saying like, God is like, God is going to be so mad if you continue to lie. And she's like praying to God to ask God to forgive her siblings of all these lies. And unfortunately, they just continue to say all of this stuff. But the entire time, Marie refuses and adamantly proclaims her innocence. But unfortunately, it was too late and to make matters worse, Marais' siblings also start pointing to people in the audience at the trial and accuse them of being witches as well. So by the end of oh this, my gosh. 10 people were accused. Oh. And you know what's really interesting is I found this like when I was doing research. In the very beginning of the witch trials, 
in Sweden, due to Swedish law, they were not allowed to execute people who did not confess and plead that they are innocent the entire time. So basically, if you maintain innocence the entire time you're on trial, they cannot kill you. Really? Oh, interesting. Or that's how it began. I mean, who has the stamina, though, to do that after being like beaten down and interrogated? Well, I mean, Marie... Marie did, which is truly impressive. She was held in jail for four years. And during those four years, they tried many different tactics to try to get her to confess. They brainwashed her. They would like wear her down. They basically torture her. But she remained adamant of her innocence. And unfortunately, by 1672, the legal system just like declared her guilty of sorcery and sentenced her to be decapitated and burned. And by 1672, it was declared no longer necessary to have a confession in the case of witchcraft. So basically, they were like, screw all the laws that we've already made. When it comes to witchcraft, we can't trust their word. We will execute, regardless of if they claim they're innocent. Mm. So going back to when Marais was first accused in 1667, the story of witchcraft began to spread through Sweden and thus sparked the hysteria of the Swedish witch trials the stories of witches' Sabbath in Blakula spread and children everywhere began to make up stories. It was said that in Blakula, people partied as if they were at a wedding. They drank and ate and danced and had sex by candlelight that were placed in vaginas while Satan sat under the table and laughed so hard that the whole room shook and the fire of hell poured up from a hole in the floor where you could see the tormented souls in hell. That's the first part of the quote that I told you I needed to read to you because it was so specific. So specific. And also it took me a second to understand that this was the this was the negative thing because I was like, that sounds like a freaking <laughs> fun party. I can't believe that everyone was partying like that. But then I was like, oh, wait, this is what people were saying was happening. Yes. Why there's witches. Ah, just don't shoot down a good time just because you didn't get the invite. Come so on. So the rest of the quote goes... People danced with their backs towards each other, as well as doing everything else backwards. People were married several at the same time and have sex with them and with Satan himself and with his devils and demons whose penises were cold and whose sperm was made of water and gave birth to frogs that were swept up from the floor with a broom and made into butter. How much do I have to pay to see this? Because I really want to. It's just like, it's a... It's, I don't even have a word for how obscure that quote is. <laughs> you know what this sounds like? Do you remember the the prompt that, that you'd get as almost like an icebreaker, like just like a creative activity in class where each person would either have like five seconds to write or would have to write one word and then you just pass the paper around and you create a story with like mm, six yes. other people. And it's just, like you have no idea. It's gibberish. There's no clear direction. It's surprising with every single pass because people are doing their own thing. This is what that sounds like. This sounds like a some kids like middle school yeah. group assignment. Yeah. Let me just read that again. And had sex with his devils and demons whose penises were cold and whose sperm was made of water and gave birth to frogs that were swept up from the floor with a broom and were made into butter. <sighs> no, 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 no. It's just so bizarre. It really, really is. So this is apparently what's happening in Blakula, where Satan lives. And with all these stories of witches abducting children and taking them to Blakula, children all over Sweden began pointing out adults for having abducted them and taking them to Satan, riding on cattle taken from the barns of wealthy farmers. And by March of 1669, the hysteria and the accusations reached Mora, 
which is where the Mora witch trials took place. And by June, 35 children had claimed to have been abducted by witches. And uh, rightfully so, if this were real, the parents of those children are horrified and, like, want action and send an appeal to the Capitol. I mean, because, like, truly, if, you're, if your child starts saying that they're abducted and taken to, like, an island and, like, forced to sign their name in the devil's book, like, I'm sure that's worrisome to parents. Right, yes. Anyway, so on August 12th, 1669, King Charles XI created and sent a commission to Mora to investigate. And he, it sounded like he had good intentions. He basically was like, instead of torturing and imprisoning these people who were accused, let's use prayer to redeem them and bring them back to God. And so this commission, half of which were priests, convened a hearing in front of 3,000 spectators and over five days... 60 accused adults, 15 accused children, and some 300 supposedly abducted children were interrogated. 300 children accused people of abducting them. 300. That's a lot. That's a graduating high school class. It is. It's three of my graduating high school classes. (laughs) I was like, wait, that's really specific to just me after I said it. The children who had been abducted were examined and questioned individually, and by the end, it was determined that they all gave the same story. They were snatched while sleeping in their beds and spirited away to the most horrific satanic revelries. Some spoke of a white angel that rescued them, but basically by the end of those interrogations, it was declared that all of their stories were the exact same. But I also must say that the person who was in charge of recording and documenting all of the stories has been recorded on he he was not great at keeping records but people who recorded him were good at keeping records he was recorded saying to be honest there were too many stories and there were there was too much going on that i really didn't document it uh, uh, okay well if you think you're overwhelmed think about the people being accused of yeah. witchcraft yeah interestingly enough some of the so-called witches actually began or or supposedly began to confess to things and declared that they were using enchanting tools. But, of course, when the judges asked the witches to show their powers, they could not because they didn't have powers. Right. <laughs> so it is interesting because it's like this is like the beginning of the Swedish witch trials. Were they already coerced into confessing? And why Or why did these, one, these specific people confess? I don't know because the records were not kept. Those that confessed told of a meeting at a gravel pit by crossroads where they put vests on their heads and danced round and round and round and summoned the devil to take them to Blockula. They spoke of the devil and how he appeared as a little old man in a gray coat with red and blue stockings and exceedingly long garters. He had a high crowned hat with bands of many colors and a long red beard that hung down to his middle, which that description to me sounds like a leprechaun. (laughs) Not Satan to me. I don't know. Anyway, after making contact with Satan himself and promising to serve him body and soul, Satan then ordered these witches to steal children. And if they did not, Satan threatened to beat them. So these so-called witches said the devil helped them abduct children by removing the window glass from the children's homes. They would then take the children, promising them great fancy treats, and then flew off with them on the backs of beasts, which were often men that they charmed to sleep. So they basically rode on sleeping men to Blakula <laughs> with children. Okay. Once they arrived at Blakula, they would cut their fingers and sign their names in their own blood in his black book. 
The devil would baptize the witches and then feast with them, and then they would all dance in naked circles while swearing and cursing wildly. So this is like, the this is apparently what people are saying, and all these people are being accused. But even the children who were accusing people and said that they were abducted were apparently beat, and some of them were even beat to death by authorities. Some of the accused witches said the devil was threatening them with the threat of throwing them into a burning pit if they continued to confess, and that the devil was going to try to murder all of the judges, but obviously the judges were not murdered. And then the witches also said that they attempted to kill the minister, and the devil apparently gave one of the witches a sledgehammer, and she tried to drive the nail into the minister's head, but the nail would not go in all the way. And around the same time, the minister supposedly complained of a terrible headache. So to me, it sounds like a voodoo doll type of thing, Mm. because of course he would have a headache if she tried to slam a nail into his head, but I think it was like they were in two different places, and she was like being accused and interrogated. yes. And tried to kill the minister from afar. So by the end of the interrogations, 70 people were accused of being witches, 23 of whom confessed and were to be executed on August 24th. The remaining 47 were sent elsewhere for later execution. And in addition to those 70 adults, 15 children were executed and 56 children were sentenced to corporal punishment like running the gauntlet and being lashed or whipped every day on their hands. So on August 24th, 1669, the condemned were to be decapitated and then their bodies were to be burnt at the stake. And on that day, 14 women and one man were decapitated with an axe and they burnt on the stakes opposite of the church. A boy was sentenced to run the gauntlet, which is basically running between two rows of usually soldiers who attack you and beat you as you run through them. 148 children were whipped that day and the commission packed up their things and then left Mora behind in complete chaos and disarray and in the years to come 60 more people stood accused of witchcraft in Mora and the hysteria just continued to spread and grow and the talk of witches sprung up everywhere which led to the peak in Torsaker in 1675 which is what you Corinne just told Mm -hmm. us about. It is really sad because I wanted to do like a – I was just trying to look and see like who – what are the names of these poor men, women, and children who were executed on false accusations? And I could only find 16 names of the 70 adults, 15 children, and 56 children who were like sentenced oh, to corporal wow. punishment. 16 oh of almost like 85 plus people. Yeah. That's hor- horrible. Yeah. And – I did find there were two women in their like early 30s whose executions were suspended because they were pregnant, but the second they gave birth to their children, they were executed. Oh, gosh. That is so unfair. It's horrendous. And then these children have no parents. Right. Yeah. And then depending on when the witch trials end, if you're in, wouldn't you be suspicious of the witch's baby? Right. Their every move is going to be hyper criticized. Yeah. It's devastating and horrible. And those were the Mora witch trials. And and what I said in the beginning, so basically there were a bunch of illustrations documented of the Mora witch trials. There is some debate if they're like they were correctly or incorrectly made, whatever it is, they made their way to the US and are said to have inspired the Salem witch trials. Mm, man. I wish they never happened. I wish all of them never happened. Witch trials I weren't know. a thing. I would love that. Yeah, man. Now, I mean, without Bailey recommending this to us, I'm not sure how how long we would have gone before 
learning about this, but it makes me think yeah. of all of the other countries that had witch trials and, and how it started there and what happened and how many people are forgotten names, just like the Swedish witch trials, where only right. a few people are actually recorded. Probably, I mean, in more than just witch trials, like in history, I feel like there's many, many terrible events that happened where mm-hmm. people just were no longer people or no longer viewed as people and their name, who they were, didn't matter. And so it was not recorded. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, que horrible. Yeah. All right. So Sabrina, I know you, you, I believe you picked out a, a witchier email. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to not choose a witchy email, but instead choose uh, an email from a listener in Sweden. <laughs> I love it. I feel like it's only fair. It's connected. Yeah. It's connected. This is from Josefine. Hi, ladies. I recently discovered your podcast, and I must say it is a joy to listen to. I binge listen as much as I can in order to catch up on the episodes. In one of your earlier Encounters episodes, number five, if I remember correctly, you talked about guardian angels and having feelings of something or someone watching you when you sleep. And I realized I have a story to tell. (laughs) First and foremost, the house that me and my family lived in and my parents still live in is new. My family is the first and only family to live there, so there's no residual energies or other things in our home. This story takes place when I was still a child, around seven years old. This was the first time that I had my own room. Before living in my house, me and my sister shared a room, but now we both got our own. And for the most part, it was fine having my own room and space away from my sister. It was during the evenings when in bed that I didn't like to be alone. For some reason, I felt as if there was someone watching me, a presence in the middle of my room. I slept with my back to the room and my facing the wall, and I could just feel something burning on my back. I turned around and nothing. My room was empty. I went back to facing the wall, trying to fall asleep again, and the sensation returned. Once again, I turned around and still there was nothing. Sooner or later, I fell asleep after checking my room a couple more times because of the feeling of being watched. This didn't happen just one night. It kept repeating. For how long, I can't say. A few days or perhaps a few weeks. Every evening, it was the same. I would go to bed, get an overwhelming feeling of being watched only to find my room empty, making it hard for me to fall asleep, too spooked about there being something in my room when I just checked that no one was there. I would have heard if it was my parents checking on me. It just didn't compute in my brain. I was freaked out to say the least. There was no logical explanation for these feelings I got every night. After a while, it just stopped. I would go to bed and there was nothing. No burning feelings on my back that someone was looking at me. No feelings of there being someone in my room as I would go to bed. Just nothing. I didn't say anything to anyone because I knew no one would believe me. And I myself thought that I must have just imagined things as my imagination can be very vivid. Fast forward many years to when I was around 18 or 19 years old and I just finished high school or my country's equivalent to high school as I live in Sweden with a different school system. I decided to take a gap year in order to work and travel before uni. I ended up working in a restaurant at a medium-sized ski resort here in Sweden. One of the higher-ups at the restaurant has a mom who is a medium-slash-psychic. So all of us who worked in the restaurant got a chance to see her, and naturally, I took my chance. This woman is one of the most kind-hearted human beings I have ever met. Anyway, during my time with her in between minerals and tarot cards, we were talking about important events during my life. After some initial extremely vague statements by me, she picked up on what I wanted to talk about. And what she said floored me. 
Since this was a few years ago now, I don't know word for word, but it went something like, yes, something happened to you when you were around six or seven years old. Someone visited you, didn't they? I didn't know what to believe. Perhaps she's just extremely good at cold reading and picked up on my body language and what I said, but it didn't feel like it. I never told anyone about this experience and anything that I said before would have been so vague to make an educated guess upon. I confirmed what she said and she agreed to try to figure out what had visited me during my youth. This is what she found out. As a child, I had apparently been rather anxious from time to time. This, according to the medium, apparently caused my guardian angel to swoop down during my evenings to watch over me as I fell asleep as a way to ensure me that I was safe and that everything was going to be okay. Naturally, child me was everything but soothed by this angel visit. That sounds like it caused the anxiety. Right. And instead, I freaked out, becoming more anxious and nervous. After a while, the angel got the message and stopped visiting me so that I could go to sleep in peace. The medium also said that this event had to have been one of the most important events in my life. In what way, I don't know. She never said. The most intriguing part is that neither she nor I could figure out who watched over me, who my guardian angel is, as all of my close relatives were still alive when I was a kid, and there's no one else that had passed during this time that I can remember. I have, of course, had my doubts about everything. Perhaps it was just something my brain made up for some reason, and the medium could naturally just have been extremely good at cold readings and faked everything, but my intuition says that it actually happened. The feelings of there being someone there were so strong and so convincing that it could only be real, and I can still recall what it felt like during those nights. I never felt threatened or that the spirit was something sinister. The unease I felt was mostly just me being spooked and freaked out that there was someone else in my room when it should have been empty. Naturally. But I do, (laughs) yeah. What I do believe is that this event as a child scared me so much that I have closed myself off from energies and spirits. Although I kind of want to believe that my guardian angel has checked in on me from time to time as I have had a few fleeting feelings of being watched at night. Not as strong as what I felt when I was a kid, but enough for me to notice. I can still feel a bit uneasy during those times, but I know that the spirit, or my guardian angel, doesn't mean me harm. Stay safe and see you on the other side, Josephine. Interesting. I like that Josephine didn't have any negative feelings, just more of like Mm -hmm. unease, but I don't know. I mean... Hmm. Well, what's interesting is that, that it was a it was a really warm feeling on her back. Her back felt hot. So it wasn't supposed to be like the traditional cold. It was supposed to be yeah. this soothing, warming, you're all warm and safe and snuggled in your bed, fall asleep. It is funny, like the first time she gets her own room, <laughs> an entity starts appearing to her. <laughs> she finally has a little bit of freedom and then is like, I always feel like. Somebody's watching me. I also, I mean, as we've heard in many stories, guardians aren't always family members or recent Mm -hmm. family members, let alone related to you at all. Like they could be someone from a past life. They could be someone completely unrelated who was just assigned to you. Or it could be like a very, very far back descendant who decided to take you on. I mean, the fact that this this guardian angel, this this guardian spirit, whoever this may be, took a while to understand that they were actually spooking Josephine makes me picture it kind of like Monsters, Inc., where it's it's a new guardian. And they're like, oh, this is for sure going to help. And then they're like, oh, my God, I messed her up for life. She's <laughs> 
She can't see me anymore. She can't feel me. I scared her so much during her prime. This is my first person. Everyone's going to be so mad Aww. at me. <laughs> I failed. I failed. My first assignment. Aww. <laughs> and I screwed it up. No, yeah. but I mean, it sounds like Josephine can still feel this spirit from time to time when there are moments. So now knowing, I- I'm actually curious if those feelings have come, those returned feelings have come after speaking to the medium. Hmm. I only say that because I wonder if once she heard from the medium about this spirit and that they didn't have any bad intentions and that it was meant to be like this warm, loving presence, Mm. I wonder if that opened Josephine up enough or at least made her guardian feel comfortable enough to slowly kind of show itself a little bit more. So I'm curious, like, the timing of when these feelings, the few fleeting feelings returned. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because it would allow her to open herself up more because she feels like it was a comforting spirit. Right. Not scary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, good for Josephine that she, she has someone who's who's with her yeah, and has I mean, these positive intentions. And also, can this woman who she spoke to, her colleague's mom, can she please call in to us? Because we would like readings from her. She sounds uh, yeah. super uh, in tune. How many times have I said I want to know who my guardian is and where you've been my whole life? I could I just picture them like screaming like the little angel devil on your shoulder. They're just super tiny sitting on your shoulder right now like what do you mean I'm right here? Guardian, if you are here, send me a sign. Crickets. <laughs> okay. Thank you for nothing. <laughs> no, I love you if you exist. I appreciate I know you. You're gonna piss them off. I I really I just miss you and I wanna I wanna know where you are and I wanna be friends with you and hang out and be BFFs and everything. So hey, I love you. Hey. <laughs> love you, mean hey. it. Oh. And now a witchy story to end on. And you will know why I picked this email based on the subject line. It is called Am I a witch or am I invisible? That sounds very pointed, very targeted for you. Yes. It's a, <laughs> an issue I have dealt with personally. Uh, this is from our listener, Shelby. Ladies, first of all, I love the podcast. Second, my name is Shelby. That's probably important to put out there. I've been listening for about two years now and absolutely love the stories you research and share and also the Spooky Encounters episodes. So now I've finally worked up the courage to send in my own email. I want to start with saying, Sabrina, I too am invisible to people, LOL. I could literally be standing right in front of someone and they will walk right into me or even right past me without even a second glance. The worst is when I'm at the gym and I'm using a machine, if I'm not currently using the machine but standing by one, someone will literally walk up and start using the machine I'm next to like I don't even exist. I just don't get it. Sometimes it feels like people just genuinely don't see me, so I feel your pain What a burden we bear. (laughs) Now, let's get to the witchy stuff. I want to preface this with my family history a little bit. My father's side is Hispanic. My grandfather and his family come from Spain. And my grandmother's side comes from Mexico. There is a little Native American mixed on my grandma's side as well. Unfortunately, both my grandma and grandpa have passed, and I miss them dearly. But they definitely left some crazy shit behind. So... Growing up, my dad always talked about how my grandpa's sister was a witch and got angry with my grandpa for whatever reason and cursed him and whatever future family he may have. At first, I thought he was nuts. I didn't really think we were cursed, but as I got older, I did start to notice unusual patterns of bad luck. 
Sure, everyone has bad experiences or mishaps every now and then, but these types of things seem to happen more frequently to me and my immediate family. Maybe I'm just being paranoid, but I don't think so. Also, as I started to get older, and I mean getting later into my 20s, I'm 29 and trying to soak up every last bit of it before the big old dirty 30. I started to notice small things happening that I had only thought of or dreamt of. For example, I could visualize or think of a person I haven't seen in a while, albeit at the gym or at work. And I'm talking about like a person I haven't seen in weeks or months. They've been actively missing for a while, and the next day, I will see them. Like somehow, I manifested wanting them to be there. Another good example is my job. I work for a really good company, but the area I was in was horrible. This company allows and encourages growth, so they want you to move to different departments and expand your learning and career, which I think is great. I wanted to work under my old boss, who had moved on to another area within the company. She had a different department and I wanted in that department so bad, but there were never any job listings available. One night I had a dream that she was my boss again. And we had a conversation about how lucky I was that I had found the listing and applied because my app was the last one to be submitted. I woke up thinking, wow, what a strange dream it had been because it felt so real. So on a whim later at work, I went to open the job listings on the company website and saw a listing for the exact position I wanted. I applied, had an interview, and got the job. Which, this, by the way, this does not sound like a curse at all. No, this is, I think you're really powerful in your yeah. manifestations. It's little things like that, small little thoughts or visions I see and get that don't really seem to matter in the moment, but a couple of days or even weeks later, they seem to come to fruition, and I have a sort of aha moment like, oh yeah, I remember thinking that or dreaming about it. It's crazy, but I'm pretty sure it makes me sort of clairvoyant or some sort of clair something or another. Lastly, I'm definitely an empath. I pick up on people's emotions right away. It's the first thing I notice about someone, how exactly they're feeling. I can walk into a room and just feel the energy going on in there. I pick up on everything, including haunted homes. I can just look at a house sometimes and tell it's got some spooky or weird shit going on. Sometimes it's scary when I get a bad feeling or one that makes me uncomfortable, but I just don't go near the house or the person. Keep up the great work and I'll see you on the other side, Shelby. I feel like this can be practiced and honed even more so. And Shelby's going to be very powerful in creating the direction of her own life. Yes. Maybe the gifts from her grandparents was passed down to to Shelby. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Adopt me. (laughs) Will I get the powers then? (laughs) Is that how it works? That's amazing. I wish. I mean, you're very open to things. Not like this. I have been repeating money mantras for months. I've been trying to win the lottery for years. Okay. Would you rather... Lottery. No. That's not what I was going to (laughs) say. Okay. Would you rather... Be adopted by a family of witches or be sponsored by Kraft Mac and Cheese for the rest of your life. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. Okay, well, I, I, I choose witches. <laughs> Fair. I, wow, I'm shocked by that answer, but I, I understand it. We'll make our own cheese. <laughs> macaroni and cheese (laughs) i actually really want to make my own vegan cheese i bought cheesecloth the other day and i have uh, it's sitting in a drawer so oh please it's like a two-day process is it yeah can't i thought oh for some reason i just envisioned it as like putting cashews in a blender and you have to soak them 
and like get them a certain consistency and then you blend certain things and then you've like soak them again and, and like drain it through the cheesecloth so that the liquid drains out. Well, tell me how it goes. I feel like I will. I also have similar moments where I'm like, I can do this myself. I want to learn how to do this. And then I do some really complicated, involved project. And then I'm like, I'm never doing that again. I'm buying store-bought <laughs> or someone else's. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Shelby. We we were talking about you and then we got distracted. <laughs> surprise, surprise. I am curious if there are any – like, what's the curse look like? Because if you think this is a curse, you are gifted, lady. That's a great curse. Cursed with a, a great power. Yeah. But – Yeah. I I'm wonder curious. what the, like, weird things are that happened to her and her family. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious about her family's experiences too, like their individual experiences and, and what happens to them. Mm-hmm. Because maybe with Shelby, it's just kind of these weird, it feels like these weird witchy moments where she's like pulling things in, pulling people in, getting things and, and being like, that was weird timing. That was premonition-esque or that was, you know, manifestation. But I'm wondering if the curse, if her view of the curse is spawned by some of her family's experiences Mm. like have they had really negative things happen interesting yeah that well let's find out shelby we'll follow up let us know i want to know we also want to know what's going on with everybody else so email us at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com and there are plenty of ways you can support our podcast and the one that i love the most and ask for all the time Is that you rate and review us on iTunes. I truly, like, I religiously check it every morning. It's part of my morning routine of getting my cup of coffee, checking my emails, and checking iTunes reviews. So make my make my morning start out great. <laughs> Please. <laughs> you can also support us by telling everybody else about us, sharing your listening ears with your friends, your colleagues, your parents, people on first dates. Always a great conversation to have, ghosts. And we also have social media. So we have Instagram. We have a Facebook group that's moderated by a ton of amazing people. We have Twitter. We have TikTok. We have Green Room now. So you can join us live on the, on the Green Room app every Tuesday. If you want to keep up with the schedule, make sure you're following us on Instagram. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll be continuing to post all the time there. The next episode that we'll have on Green Room is in two days from now. It is November 9th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That is 8 p.m. on the East Coast of the United States. Thank you so much to our editor, Aiden Manning, and the entire team at Upfire Digital for editing our podcast. Leah was on one today and decided to knock many things over. So Aiden cut all that out, which was great and appreciated. And we will. See you on the other side.